Well, I want you to imagine uh, that your house is on fire and you're standing outside, helplessly watching on. A fire truck arrives and the team swings into action. Some of the men grab the hose and they get into position. They shout out that they're ready, but no water comes out of the hose. In a panic, everyone turns around to see what the problem is, only to discover that two of the other firefighters are bickering over who gets to turn the tap on. They're having a little spat about whose turn it is to get the water flowing. Meanwhile, your house is going up in flames. Now, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? You would want someone, you probably would do it yourself, but you'd want the leader of the team to go over and tell them Guys, there's a bigger picture. Now's not the time to have a petty argument. Let's focus on what's really important. Don't fight with one another. Join forces and put this fire out. That's what you're meant to be doing. It's that kind of thing that lies at the heart of our verses this morning. What we'll see is that there were some people in the Philippian church who were fighting with one another and it was keeping them from what they were meant to be doing. Hopefully you can remember from last week uh, what it is they're meant to be doing. They're meant to be together, standing firm in the Lord, following Paul's example of trusting and treasuring Christ. But sadly, there were two ladies who were struggling with a disagreement and they'd let their differences define their relationship and so they weren't helping one another stand firm in Christ. And that's really serious. Because Christ is the only one who can save us from sin. Christ is the only one who can give us eternal life. So we're talking about helping each other to remain safe in Jesus. And just as this was serious for the Philippian church, this is something we want to get right too. We don't want to let our differences define our relationships. We don't want our disagreements to be the most significant factor in how we relate to one another because together... We're meant to be standing firm in the Lord. And so we want Christ to define our relationships with one another. Now, before we look at the verses, uh, please let me make this very, very clear. Uh, There's nothing happening here at DPC that I suddenly need to preach on how we deal with disagreements. Okay, there's nothing in particular happening within the church family that's meant I feel like I need to talk about this. It's just what we happen to be up to in the book of Philippians. Okay, we're just working our way through the letter. It's just what we're up to. Okay, let's take a look. It all hinges on two ladies named Euodia and Syntyche and their problem. We'll pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Immediately after urging the church family to stand firm in the Lord, Paul publicly and specifically addresses Euodia and Syntyche, pleading with them to agree in the Lord. Now, that's going to be a tad unsettling to the church family, isn't it? That would be like me hopping up here this morning and saying, as part of my talk, and I name two of you and tell you in front of everyone, look, will you please sort your stuff out? You know, did he really just single out Mary and Joanna in front of us all? 
It's a bit in your face, isn't it? There'd be some tension in the air. Clearly, this is serious if Paul's willing to deal with it like this. Like I said, it's about standing firm in the Lord for eternal life. And Euodia and Syntyche's disagreement wasn't helping them to do that. It wasn't helping the church to stand firm. And so Paul publicly pleads with Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. They've allowed their disagreement to define their relationship and it's hurting them. It's hurting everyone. Now, we're not told what their disagreement was over. But we do know that their argument wasn't over something central to the gospel. They weren't arguing over a salvation issue, you know, like Jesus being the only way anyone can be saved. Neither of them were false teachers, and we know this because Paul clearly identifies them as Christians in verse 3. They used to stand firm together with Paul himself, and they have their names in the book of life. So look at, look at it there in verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Euodia and Syntyche are Christian. They were disagreeing over something minor. However, the way they were handling their disagreement was enough for Paul to mention them publicly and specifically because it was undermining them and the church standing firm together in Christ. They had let their difference define their relationship and it was hurting everyone. Now, before we look at what Paul says is to be done about this, uh, it'd be good to think about what this might look like for us. Euodia uh, and Syntyche were two Christians disagreeing over something not central to the gospel. So what are some issues that we might disagree over, but we're still both Christian? What are some things we might disagree on, but they're not salvation issues? Well, heaps of different things. Uh, Let me give you a few examples, a few issues that have got Christians worked up over the years. So, Christian schooling versus public schooling versus homeschooling. How we do music here at church. How often we have communion. Infant baptism versus confessing baptism. Doesn't have to be theological issues though. Uh, We can have a disagreement about almost anything, like a personality clash, or over a misunderstanding over what someone said, what size plates we might use for a church breakfast. You could have a disagreement with someone here at church because they disciplined your child. It could be over an interpretation of silence. You know, someone didn't say hello to you as you walked into church this morning and so you hold it against them. Sometimes you might have had a difference with someone in the past. You've actually forgotten what it was all about. It was so long ago, but you still relate to them as someone you've got to avoid. We've all probably got some people that when we see them, the first thing that comes into our heads is what we disagree on, how we're at odds with them in some way. At that point, we've let our disagreement define our relationship. We don't want to do that. We want to stand firm together in the Lord. 
We're not standing firm in our grudge-keeping or our argument-having. We're standing firm in the Lord. So when we have disagreements in matters that aren't central to the gospel, what's to be done about it? How are we meant to handle these kinds of disagreements? Well, back to Philippians and from verse 4, that's exactly what Paul goes on to spell out. From verses 4 to 9, Paul tells the church what's to be done about it. Although at first reading, I admit it's a little hard to see that that's what he's doing. If you just skim read from verse 4, so look at it there, skimming reading, you can see a whole bunch of things like rejoicing in the Lord, being gentle, the Lord being near, praying, all good things, but hard to see how it all connects with Euodia and Syntyche. But when you read a little closer, you'll also notice two mentions of peace. So one there in verse 7, the peace of God will guard you. And again in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. Now apart from Paul's opening way back in the beginning of chapter 1, these are the only mentions of peace in the entire letter. And given the tension and opposition that Paul's dealing with in the church... For Paul to be talking about peace, that's a healing ointment. And also look at it there in verse 8, where Paul says, Finally, brothers, this is Paul's way of saying, here's the last thing I want to say on this matter. Verses 8 and 9 are like a summary of what to do about Euodia and Syntyche's disagreement. And then from verse 10, Paul changes topic. There's a couple of other things happening in the text you can ask me about later if you'd like. But wrap it all up. And verses 4 to 9, they're not a random collection of pithy Christian sayings. They're actually Paul telling the church what to do about Euodia and Syntyche's disagreement. So let's take a look. And as we do, we'll keep in mind that this is how we're to deal with our disagreements. And the big thing that Paul hammers home is that in our disagreements, we're to focus on Christ. We're not to focus on what's put us at odds with someone. We're not to let our differences define our relationships. We're to focus on Christ together. He is to define our relationships. So from verse 4, what's the first thing Paul tells us to do in this situation? Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. See, immediately Paul's getting them to take their attention away from their disagreement and turn their attention to Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's the first thing to do when you're disagreeing over a minor issue. Rejoice in the major issue. Rejoice in Christ. Always. Remember that there's always bigger fish to fry than whatever it is you're disagreeing over. So the next time you feel yourself wanting to avoid someone here at church because they think differently to you about, I don't know, say parenting, stop. Don't walk away from them. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in God's salvation of that person you feel like avoiding. Focus on the joy of knowing the same Lord together Don't get hung up on your disagreement. Don't let your disagreement define your relationship. Second thing we're to do is to be gentle with one another. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
the Lord is near. We're not to be spoiling for a fight. Instead, as we deal with our disagreements, we're to be so gentle with one another that everyone else should be able to see how gentle we're being with one another. So the next time you feel your blood pressure rising as you talk to someone about how we do music here at church, stop, remember that you're speaking to a dear brother or sister in Christ and be gentle. And note, verse 5, that we're to be like this because the Lord is near. Again, Paul's turning our attention to Christ. The Lord's coming back. That's what's most important. So relate to one another as if the Lord's return is most important. Don't let your disagreement define your relationship. And so be relating in anger or frustration or gossip. You're both waiting for the Lord to return. He's near. And so be gentle with one another and help each other to stand firm in Christ. And the next thing we're to do is to not be anxious. Being in disagreement with others can, can cause all manner of anxieties, can't it? You know, what the other person thinks of you, or what the rest of the church might think of you. But again, Paul shifts our focus off ourselves and on to Christ. Don't be anxious. Pray. So verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be anxious. Through Christ, turn to your heavenly Father and pray about one another, for one another, with thanksgiving. So if there's someone here in your church family that right now you're having a disagreement with, stop and pray for them. Call on your heavenly father with thanksgiving that he would do mighty things in them. Can you see that everything Paul says to do turns our attention away from ourselves and our disagreements and shifts our focus onto Christ? That's how you deal with these kinds of disagreements. And please notice that Paul hasn't said that we need to sort out who's right or wrong. There's no mention of needing to convince someone of something. Everything Paul says to do has nothing to do with whatever it is that's being disagreed about because the disagreement isn't what matters. Christ is what matters and standing firm together in him. Now, before Paul summarizes it all for us, in verse 7, he adds a delightful truth about God and what God will do in the disagreement and with all that Paul said about what we're to do in fixing our attention on Christ it's no surprise that what God will do is he will guard us in Christ look at verse 7 and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus God will give them his peace Notice that it's not peace with God, it's the peace of God. God's own peace within himself and he'll give that to them. It's an extraordinary prospect. And God will give them his own peace to guard them 
in Christ Jesus. God will protect them, keep them safe, to see that they continue standing firm in Christ, which is, of course, what God will do. Because everything's all about Christ, like we've been seeing in chapter 3 over the past four weeks. What God wants for us, what God's doing in us, is keeping us safe in Christ. That's what our wonderful God will do in the midst of our disagreements. And to round it all off, Paul now gives a summary. Whether you're in the middle of a disagreement with someone or you're on the sidelines trying to help people that are having a disagreement, what are we to do? Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul really, really doesn't want us to dwell on our differences. I mean, how many different ways can he say, think about great things. Think about whatever is true. Think about whatever is noble. Just don't dwell on your differences. Don't think about them. Don't plan how you can win the argument. When seeing others having a disagreement, don't take sides. Don't gossip. Don't fan the argument into flame. Don't spend time thinking about how to make others look bad. Don't think about those kinds of things. Think about whatever is noble. Anything that's excellent. Think about that. And if you're not sure what excellent things Paul has in mind here... Just reread chapter 3. You'll read of our righteousness in Christ, our salvation in Christ, our heavenly citizenship and eternal life in Christ. And so when you're in a disagreement or trying to help others in a disagreement, stop and think about whatever praiseworthy aspect of Jesus you want to. Think about the truth that Christ is Lord. Think about the nobility of Christ's humility. Think about the purity of the righteousness we have in Christ. It'll cause you to rejoice in him, to be gentle with others and to pray so that together we'll stand firm in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, as we negotiate our own differences, as we hold differing views on schooling, how we do music, communion, baptism, as we misunderstand each other and have personality clashes and conjure up all kinds of differences between each other over any number of things. In amongst all of that, what we're to be doing is agreeing in the Lord, focusing on Christ, actively working for what's best for him and his gospel in one another. We're not to be actively working for what's best to win an argument. We're not to be trying to make sure we get what we want because we agree in the Lord. So if there's an issue that you feel strongly about and you're having a disagreement about it with someone here at church, please make sure that your disagreement doesn't define your relationship with that person. If the particular issue is becoming what's most important to you, If it's 
hurting your relationship with others here at church, if it's hindering you contending side by side with others for the cause of Christ, if in all honesty your primary aim is to get what you want, then maybe the best thing you can do is walk right away from the argument. Just let the issue go. Completely. After all, we're talking about minor issues, not things central to being saved by Christ. So if you find you can't be humble and consider the needs of others ahead of your own, you can't be gentle and considerate, then maybe what you need to do is just drop it. Because you wouldn't want any of these types of issues undermining our standing firm together in the Lord. Now, by and large, my observations are that we do okay at all this here at DPC. As I said, I haven't got any particular issue or people in mind here today. It's just part of the book of Philippians that we happen to be up to. Here at DPC, we don't have splits happening because of some minor issue, and that's good. It's very good. Let's keep it this way. Because we want to be a church family that stands firm together in the Lord. We want what's best for Christ, what's best for his gospel. And that might mean some things not going our way particularly. It might mean holding our tongues. But for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his gospel, that's okay. Because together we're standing firm in the Lord. We're focused on him. He defines our relationship with one another. And so because we agree in the Lord, whenever we have these kinds of disagreements, we're always asking ourselves, how can I help my brother or sister stand firm in Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've made us different. And Father, we thank you that even in all of our differences, Father, you've brought us together to your Son. And so, Father, we can agree in him. Thank you that he dwarfs anything and everything else. And so we pray that you would give us such clarity of mind and such deep love in our hearts that no matter what happens... Father, we would have that strength of conviction to help one another, to stand firm in the Lord. And Father, we ask it that he might receive the honour in our lives, not just now, but forever. Amen.